Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a recommendation from our mysterious listener and Patreon supporter, Jessica. Jessica writes to us, Is it too soon for you guys to visit Gunsmoke again? I've listened to over 100 episodes since you guys turned me on to the series, and there are so many that are so good. Jessica goes on to recommend Never Pester Chester, which she describes as gruesome, but also a sort of beautiful tribute to male friendship in a generally macho, rugged, individualist era. Gunsmoke was created by director Norman MacDonald and writer John Meston. The legendary program aired on CBS Radio from April 1952 to June 1961. Author John Dunning notes, The show drew critical acclaim for unprecedented realism, and today is regarded as among one of the best shows of any kind and any time. In other words, you don't have to be a fan of westerns to enjoy Gunsmoke's brand of well-crafted, emotionally resonant storytelling. Gunsmoke's success led to a television adaptation in 1955. Despite the popularity of the radio series, CBS made the controversial decision not to feature William Conrad and the rest of the radio cast. Instead, the network recast the roles, including James Arness from Minneapolis as Dylan and Dennis Weaver as Chester. The television series lasted an historic 20 years, from 1955 to 1975, returning in the late 1980s and early 90s for a series of made-for-TV movies. Never Pester Chester was written by Gunsmoke co-creator John Meston, who had a particular dislike for the archetypical Western hero as portrayed in programs like The Lone Ranger and Hopalong Cassidy. Meston believed most Westerns romanticized their heroes while sanitizing the brutality of the era. In contrast... Meston strived to make Matt Dillon a distinctly fallible hero, one who lost just as much as he won. According to Meston, Dillon was almost as scarred as the homicidal psychopaths who drifted into Dodge from all directions. And now let's listen to Never Pester Chester from Gunsmoke, first aired June 5th, 1952. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. That's with a U.S. Marshal and the spell of gun smoke.
Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Sure is hot today, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Used to get hotter in Sweetwater, though. Texas? Yes, sir. But I wasn't there very long. No? <laughs> what'd you do there, Chester? Oh, I was a salesman, Mr. Dillon. Salesman? <laughs> well, what'd you sell? Lightning rods. Lightning? Oh. Well, now, they're good things to have, Mr. Dillon. Why, I had a line of well, lightning rods... Well, now, don't explain you... it to me, Chester. <laughs> Too hot. Well, I'll go get us some beer. Maybe that'll help. I don't think I want any beer, Chester. Well, then, why don't you just go take a siesta, Mr. Dillon? I'll stay here in the office. <laughs> why don't you just leave me alone, huh? All right, Mr. Dillon. Hey, Marshal. Yeah, what do you want, Doc? A couple of cowboys been feeding their liquor over at the Texas Trail. That's what saloons are for, isn't it? Yeah, they were giving Kitty a bad time. Oh? She got rid of them now. But they're down at the end of Front Street now, making remarks and pestering the town ladies. It just might lead to trouble. Well, I'm not going to walk down there in this heat just to lecture a couple of hard-nosed cowboys. I'll go, Mr. Dillon. Oh, good, Chester. You go, huh? Just tell them to take it easy and leave the ladies alone. Yes, sir, I will, Mr. Dillon. enough. Who's this? The preacher, maybe. <laughs> Boys, Marshal Dillon sent me down here. And we're going to send you right back, fella. Mr. Dillon said you can have all the fun you like, but to leave the ladies alone. That's all dang trouble, these Dodge ladies. They've been left alone too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they need is a couple of big-handed Texas men. <laughs> yeah. Look, now, now, why don't you go over there to the Alphaganza? I- I'll buy you both a beer. You will, huh? Well, that's mighty thoughty of you, mister. We just don't want any trouble, that's all. Sure we don't. And I got an idea how we won't have any. Wait till I get on my horse here. Stay with our friend a minute, Trevor. Hey, mister, I'll make a bet. What kind of bet? What do you mean? Any kind. You name it. Come on. Well, but I don't... I got him! He spilled his gun, Trevor. Pick it up and grab your horse. Get this rope off of me. Maybe you'll wear off, mister. You're going for a ride. Drag him, Tobo. Drag him. Let's go! Got Chester. A couple of cowboys. They roped him and dragged him out of town. Come on. Well, well, which way? West. I'm going with you. Hurry. Come on. There they are, but they're not dragging anything. They must have cut him loose. 
Oh, there he is by that sagebrush. Chester. Chester. Get that rope off his feet, Channel. Look at him. He's bleeding all over the... Tore him to ribbons. I'll stay with him, Marshal, if you'd like to... No, Shiloh. Go get our horses. I want to get him back to the dock right away. All right, Marshal. So, Chester. I got you now. We'll be at the dock soon. Easy, Chester. Easy, fella. Easy now. I'll uh, carry him when you get tired, Marshal. I won't get tired, Shiloh. Not for a long time. Well, Doc? Yeah, he's in bad shape, Marshal. The worst is something's bothering his breathing. I don't know what it is. We'll just have to wait and see if it goes away. If he lives the next few days, he'll pull through. Oh, Doc. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. But I'll stay right here with him. Why did I have to send him? Why didn't I go? Oh, and I don't blame myself, I Marshall. told him to go, didn't I? Yes, but... Uh, Doc, can I talk to him? No, no, Marshal, no. Not for a while. All right, then. Would, would you tell him this for me? I'm going after those men. I'm going to bring them back. Alive. Or at least half alive. In the street outside, waves of heat move back and forth, making things seem unreal. Like Chester lying up there at docks. That seemed unreal somehow. I walked down to the jail and I went inside and I sat there for a while. And then all at once I got up and unbuckled my guns and I hung them on a peg behind the desk. And I went over to the Texas Trail. I'm over here, Matt. Sit down. Matt, I heard about Chester. How is he? Doc doesn't know for sure. Oh. They were in here bothering you. Who were they, Kitty? I never saw them before. One was a kind of weasel-faced man named Trevitt. And the other? Big man. Real brute. Named Stobo, I think. I see. What outfit, they say? Would it be the crow track? Yeah. Crow tracks holding a herd up the river. Thank you, Kitty. Wait a minute, Matt. Yeah? No business of mine to ask, but where are your guns? It would have been easier for Chester if they'd have shot him and killed him. But I don't see... So I'm not going to shoot them. If Chester dies, I'll see him hanged. Otherwise... Otherwise what, Matt? I don't know. But I'm going to bring him back and... and we'll wait and see. 
You're taking an awful chance. Maybe. Oh, Matt. Please be careful. Sure. Uh, Kitty. Yeah, Matt. Look in on Chester once in a while, will you? Maybe oh, of course can... I will. Don't worry about him. Thank you, Kitty. So long. What is it, Shiloh? I'll walk outside with you. Marshal, I want to ride after those cowboys with you. No, Shiloh, I'm going alone. But we could use you here at the jail. Here? I'm going to take two prisoners. I don't know when or how, but I need a jailer when they come in. So I'll bring them in with you, and then I'll... No. That's something I have to do alone. Marshal, you're a stubborn man. But... Okay, I'll do it. Keys are in my desk. Uh, here's my horse. I'm going now. Yeah, uh, wait a minute, Marshal. You're not armed. I know it, Shiloh. Goodbye. Who's the trail boss here? Where is he? Here I am. And I don't need any rider. Maybe not, but you got two riders I need. How's that? Just what do you want, mister? That's the crow track outfit, isn't it? That's right. I'm looking for a couple of your men called Stobo and Trevin. They ain't here, mister. And where are they? They come back this afternoon, picked up the gatherings and left. Didn't even wait to get paid off. I'm telling you this just because they're no good, and I'm glad they're gone. Which way'd they go? I wouldn't tell you if I knew, mister. I didn't think you would. Who are you, anyway? I'm a U.S. Marshal out of Dodge. That's so? <laughs> well, I don't know what you want them for, and I don't care, but... How you going to take them, Marshal? Put salt on her tail? <laughs> <laughs> you ought to at least take a club if you're going after that Stobo. He's mean, he's big. Besides being a Texan. <laughs> We've hung Texans up here before, mister. Marshal. Yeah. I heard Stobo and Trevitt say they were heading west, following the Arkansas. Where are you from, son? Texas. Near Waco. And what are you sniveling around and forming on these men for? That Stobo kicked me. Knocked me down and kicked me. All right, son. I'll ride along the Arkansas. But you ride back to Texas and learn how to fight your own battles. Returned for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, the conventions start next Monday when the Republican Party takes over Chicago. CBS Radio's greatest reporting names and a corps of technical experts manning mobile units and studios covering the convention floor and corridors are all set to bring you history as never before. 
Whatever happens, wherever it happens, you'll miss nothing when you tune in the conventions on CBS Radio starting next Monday. Now, the second act of Gunsmoke. I cut straight down to the Arkansas and followed it west. I rode close to the water where I could use the sound of it for only my cover. After an hour or two, I spotted a hobbled horse alone. Stobo and Trebek must have separated. I got down and followed the animal's tracks as best I could in the moonlight until I caught the dying coals of a campfire on the bank ahead. To one side, I could make out the huddled figure of a man asleep in his blanket. It took a long time to crawl to his head where I saw the weasel face of the man Trevitt. His gun belt lay on a saddle blanket in easy reach. I stood up and heaved it out into the river. And as Trevitt sat up with a snap, I kicked him back. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! You sit up again and I'll smash your skull, Trevitt. Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Shut up! Now, where's your rope? I told you to lie down! Now, where's your rope? Under my saddle there. You gonna lynch me? No. But you may hang legally if you live that long. Now, keep your arms not blanket and lie still while I get you roped up here. Who are you, mister? Yeah, that'll do it. Let's just say I'm a good friend of a man you dragged out of Dodge this morning. Stobo was in on that, too. It was his idea. He did it. Don't worry. I'll find Stobo. You ain't gonna leave me like this. I'll be back. You ain't even carrying a gun. Too bad for you, I'm not. Now, Trevor, I'm gonna throw you across my horse and tie you on. He'll take you under Dodge right to the jail. When you get there, tell Shiloh who you are if you can still talk. He'll give you a nice, clean cell. You're the marshal. I'll be back when I find Stobo. You can't do it, marshal. I'll die on that, son. Ride like that across a horse. No, no, listen. Stobo's about a mile upriver. We had a row and I left him. See, I, I told you, marshal. Let me go now. Trevor, how would you like to go to Dodge behind my horse with a rope around you? No, 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 don't, no, no, don't, marshal. Don't kill me. I tied Trevor across my horse and started him off in the direction of Dodge, and then I forgot about him. Stobo was next. I rode west on Trevor's horse. Dawn was just breaking when I saw him. Crouched behind a campfire, cooking breakfast. His horse was saddled and stood nearby. I rode straight up, got down, and walked over. You lost, stranger? No. I'm not lost. Stobo. No tricks, mister. I don't see a gun, but... No tricks. Relax, Stobo. I'm unarmed. Who are you? Matt Dillon. I'm a U.S. Marshal. Out of Dodge. 
You're a long way from Dodge, Marshal. Stobo, you and your pal had some fun with a friend of mine yesterday. You hurt him bad. Maybe you killed him. <laughs> you rode out here without a gun to tell me that? You're the craziest marshal I ever saw. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you, Marshal, and bury you in the river. What do you think of that? I expected you would. Huh? But unless you want it on your conscience that you refuse to feed a man on the trail, you better give me a piece of that pork first. You're about the coolest man I ever saw, Marshal. Do I eat? <laughs> sure you do. Sure. You just stand right there across the fire and don't move. I have to shoot you before you've been fed. I know. It's too bad I... Only got one dish for your last meal, Marshal. A man can keep sassy on meat alone, Stobo. <laughs> yeah, he sure can. Well, looks about done. At least this here piece says you can't... All right, I got your gun, Stobo, so don't try anything. You burn me, you burn me! Just a few coals, they won't hurt you. Now shut up and get on your horse. Oh, kill you for this, Marshal. You can't hurt me like that. On your horse! Come on now. Get up there. Now, you just sit there, Sobo. I'm going to throw a noose around your neck, so keep your hands down. There now. Now, you ride toward Dodge. And you do anything I don't like, and I'll jerk you off your horse and drag you the rest of the way. Now, ride. Jail's on the left. You see it? I see it. All right, pull up. Shiloh! Shiloh! Well, hello, Marshal. This other one? Yeah. Trevor, get here. More dead than alive, but he's here. It was rough, Marshal. Real rough. Yeah. Shiloh, how about Chester? Tell me. Doc ain't sure yet, but he's alive. Lock Stovo up. I'm going over to Doc's. All right, you get down. Walk straight or I'll shoot you through both knees. Chester was asleep, but the Doc let me take a look at him. Seemed to me he had more trouble breathing than before. But the Doc said another day might see him out of it. And there was nothing I could do. So I went up for a steak and some sleep. And the next morning, I went back to the jail. Morning, Marshal. Is everything all right, Shiloh? Doc looked over your prisoners. Trevor's pretty sick yet, but Stobo's all right. Got a few burns is all. Nothing could hurt that moose. A hanging might. Sure, but what if Chester pulls through? You can't hold us in, Marshal. There's no law that says... I don't you... like the sound of your voice, Trevor. But you can't Be hold... quiet. You too, Sobo. Shut the door, Shiloh. I don't even want to look at him. That Sobo's a mean one, but I feel kind of sorry for Trevor. And go cry about it someplace else. I don't feel sorry. Don't you take it out on me, Marshal. I didn't send Chester off to do my job. I, uh... Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. Go get some breakfast, huh, Shiloh? I'll, I'll, I'll wait here now. Uh, I'll be back later. <laughs> Doc? What? Well, what is the doc coming? <laughs> Chester. He's going to be all right. But... You sure? Well, of course, Marshal. His breathing suddenly changed. The pressure's off somewhere. Oh, he's going to be fine. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> of course, he'll be in some pain for a while yet. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Doc, I'll, I'll come see him in a little while. I'll tell him for you, Marsh. All right, come on, Trevin. Where to? Come on, I said. What's up, Marsh? I'll be back for you, Stobo. Now get going. Come on. <laughs> Stobo did it. Not me. You, you can't do anything to me. Shut up. Trevor, your horse is down at the National. Go get on it. You turning me loose? Get your horse and ride, and don't ever come back to Dodge, not while I'm alive. Now go on before I change my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure. Sure, I'll go. I turned him loose. Now, come on, get out of that cell. Am I free, too? You will be in a little while. So the doc, Marshal. Chester's... Hey, uh, where are you going with Stobo? Going to shoot me in the back, probably. That right, Marshal? I'm going to do what I should have done three days ago when I sent Chester after you. Bring him outside, Shiloh. Let's go, Stobo. Slow and easy. Bring him over here, Shiloh. You're going to drag me, is that it? You try that. That's what now. you do, isn't it, Stobo? Don't try. Never mind. Shiloh, hold my guns. Here. What the... <laughs> oh, I get it. You're going to fight me. Well, Marshal, you're crazier than I thought. Why, I'll tear your throat out. If he wins, let him go, Shiloh. Maybe I will. I said you'll let him go. All right, Marshal, all right. Maybe you are crazy, but I guess this is your party. Come on, Marshal. <laughs> I'll make it short for you. Real short. Stand back, everybody. Get back, do you hear? You're big, Stobo. But you're stupid. You're ugly, stupid. Why, you... I'll kill you! I'll kill you! Oh! 
Give me my guns, Shallow. Here. You don't look too good, Marshal. I'd better get that doc. He's hurt, but he isn't dead. If he can't ride, throw him on a stage. But get him out of here. If I see him again, I'll shoot him. Chester, can, can I come in? Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. My, what happened to you? I, I've been lecturing a couple of hard-nosed cowboys. One in particular. Oh, I, I see. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon. Those two sort of got the drop on me. Yeah, it sure did. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I've been thinking, and, and, uh, yeah, what is it, Chester? Well, Mr. Dillon, I, I, I'm not much help to you here. Maybe I better just... That's enough, Chester. Well, but I, I've been thinking Well, that... just stop thinking. Yes, sir. Now, look, Chester, I'm going to tell you something. I, uh, I, I need you here. See, you're the only man in Dodge I can really trust. The only one. Yes, sir. Well, you you can trust me, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I, I, I know. And I'm thanking you, Chester. <laughs> but you, you're sure no help to me lying there, you know. No help at all. Well, I, I don't even stay here long. The doc says I'll be up and around again... Look, uh, Chester, I, uh, I, I tell you what, I, I'll go get patched up, and then we'll make Kitty come over and fix us some steaks, and we'll, we'll have some beer too, huh? Well, what do you say? My, that'd be fine, Mister Dillon. My, I'd sure like that. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in tonight's cast were Paul Dubov, Lou Krugman, and Georgia Ellis, with Don Diamond, Gil Stratton, and Jack Crucian. Parley Bear is Chester, and Howard McNear is Doc. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. This delightfully funny little secretary is heard from every Sunday evening here on CBS Radio. 
Audrey Totter stars as Millie, a gal with a one-track mind on the subjects of love and marriage, especially where the boss's son is concerned. Remember, you can now meet Millie every Sunday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, tune in history starting next Monday. Hear the Republican Convention on the CBS radio network. Never Pester Chester from Gunsmoke here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That came to us from our Patreon supporter, Jessica, as we returned to our listener library and she begged for some more Gunsmoke. And Jessica, thank you so much. I adore and love Gunsmoke. And it was really nice to have this show up in my email from the boys saying, here's here's, uh, what we're going to be doing. My gripe is all of my notes, all of my things I was going to say that were pithy and uh, insightful, you wrote in <laughs> our opening. Scrimshaw, you wrote all of this. So, But um, Matt Dillon, a distinctly fallible hero who lost as much as he won. And this idea that Meston wrote, Dylan was almost as scarred as the homicidal psychopaths who drifted into Dodge from all directions is gorgeous because my take on this after listening to it was, wow, he's so fallible. He's not making sane decisions. He's not heroic, but I understand. And yeah, that's all I was going to bring up is how wonderful it was to listen to him actually, in my head, make a, a huge series of mistakes. Yeah, but I think what's really significant, and you said it, you can understand it. Yeah, he's relatable. He's not an anti-hero. No, and it's not like he's out of control. He has self-knowledge. Right. He knows things about himself, and he is aware of what he is struggling mm-hmm. with. And that's where that relatable side comes from, and we can understand what he's torn over, torn over the justice that his badge represents and the justice as a friend he would like to meet out. Yep. He also wrote in the opening, you don't have to be a fan of Westerns to enjoy Gunsmoke's brand of well-crafted, emotionally resonant storytelling. I am struck every time I listen to Gunsmoke how much it's not a Western. It is about people that happen to live there at that time, but it's about relationships and it's about decisions and it's and it, yeah. I would also argue that it's the template for the modern western, right? Like we don't do Hopalong Cassidy or right. Lone Ranger, or right? What Cisco and Poncho? What is that? I can't remember. That sure, show. let's just pretend that's one. <laughs> I mean, there's the three amigos, but that yeah. might be as far as it goes. Yeah, but no, this is <laughs> which is. A great movie. It's so good. We have, uh, from a pop culture standpoint, embraced this idea of the West as a brutal, mm-hmm. morally gray, 
time in America. If anything, we've gone the other way and we've exaggerated it now to a cartoonish degree. And what's great going back to Gunsmoke is that we see this, and I think the word is realistic portrayal Mm -hmm. of that. Nothing is perfectly realistic. This is not a photograph, but I think it is far more realistic Mm -hmm. and less stylized than what we might see in a Western today. It varies how much emotional grounding you have of what do you invest based on how it presents that this world is. If this is a super dangerous world, um, then you might invest in the same way you'd invest in an action movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I want these characters to do well, but I don't really worry over them. Mm -hmm. On the other side is the, if it's a sort of silly, fun, singing cowboy, you don't really worry over them. But when when the setting is so credible, then you invest in this character as a real person, uh, and their fears and their decisions and the things that happen to them, you you take very seriously. Yep. The first thing I want to comment just about how this episode is put together, just from a directing point of view, let's set aside the performances, which are all just fantastic, mm-hmm. particularly Conrad. Conrad again. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to listen hard to hear William Conrad in this performance occasion. Oh, I know. Uh, when he gets really angry and he's barely containing his rage, I hear William Conrad. Mm-hmm. But when he's feeling lazy and hot. it's too hot, <laughs> it just it gets that really quiet drawl. And I yeah. I, I think I first started listening to this. I'm like, is that William Conrad? Right, right. Um, I've gone off on a tangent. What I wanted to mention is how well directed this episode mm-hmm. is. And the first thing I want to note is... Dylan sends Chester off to deal with these hooligans. Mm-hmm. Instead of moving to a musical transition to change oh, scenes, yeah. we follow him walking yep. out of the marshal's office down the street, and then we start to hear the voices mm-hmm. of these drunk guys fade into the scene, and Chester starts talking to them. Yep. We follow and, Chester out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. This does. So much interesting work for the story because Mm -hmm. I think it's aesthetically pleasing in one way because it just sort of sets this lazy, sun-drenched tone of a Western, Mm -hmm. taking your time to walk down the street. Mm -hmm. But it also does geographical work in that it tells you how lazy Dylan is being in this moment. And it's funny in that moment, but down the road, it's going to be this terrible thing that he did. It'll haunt him. Yeah, send Chester out because these guys are really close to where they are based on those footsteps. Dylan could have just End of the block. put his head out the window <laughs> and, hey, drunks, knock it off or I'll shoot you. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just lazy in that moment. And it's just yep. so rich, just that one single directorial decision. There's a, a number of things in there that jumped out that was fantastic. But the, one of the odd things is really one of my favorites and I don't know if this character is recurring because I haven't listened to a lot of Gunsmoke but Shiloh that no. character really popped out because he introduced in the bar of like hey you're going to take I'll go with you and I thought well what a nice guy what a supportive member of the community and then when he comes back gets the big Texan off the horse uh, don't do anything funny walking or I'll shoot you in both your knees <laughs> 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 Shiloh, I mean, this is even, what a cold-blooded, weird, minor character. Even more interesting and ironic, Shiloh is Hebrew for place of peace. Oh. <laughs> do you know why I know that? Why do you know that? Ken Burns' uh, Civil War documentary. They talk about the Battle of Shiloh and all the carnage, and then at the end it is, Shiloh is Irony Hebrew. alert. <laughs> yeah. It's 
Hebrew for place of peace. He'll shoot you in both your knees. Oh, and also, I'm just to put a tag on that. He's also the guy who said, well, you're the one who sent him to do your job. It's a harsh truth there, Shiloh. But yeah. you got like four lines and two of them are super nasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, he's also the character who expresses sympathy for Trevitt, mm-hmm. which Dylan does not. And I think it's an interesting moment, particularly because it mirrors the scene when Dylan is hunting down the guys who dragged Chester and he goes and he talks to the trail boss who just laughs in his face and says he's not, even if he knew where they were, he wouldn't tell Dylan and Dylan goes, yeah, I figured you wouldn't. And then there's the guy who comes up to him afterwards. Oh yeah. Right. He admonishes him for being a tattletale. He shames him. He goes, go back to Texas and learn to fight your own battle. So this is just like that classic catch 22 of this hard boiled masculinity. Mm-hmm. I'm right. here to talk to you guys because I'm a super tough guy who's going to avenge my friend. But I know you're not going to tell me anything, and I respect <laughs> that. But you, Weasel, who actually gave me the crucial information I need to avenge my friend, I have no sympathy for you. You sicken me. And so I think it's interesting that right. uh, the weak character we see in Trevitt finds sympathy in Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Uh, sympathy that... Dylan never shows any weak character other than Chester. But does he show sympathy to Chester? Because unlike Shiloh, Chester doesn't question anything (laughs) that Dylan asks him to do. The final fight scene is so interesting because we're not given any information. And yet I saw every swing and punch. You guys, I mean, the theater of the mind was mind-blowing. Clear and why? Like they're not doing enough to earn how clear that is in my head. But, but that's it. it. They I don't know, right. do too much. Yeah. So you, that's it's what not I'm a saying. model. You hear that Sobo charges or takes the first swing or somehow mm-hmm. moves toward Dylan because and he says, Dylan. Oh, you yeah. and then, but then Dylan hits him. Yep, and knocks him down. That's the sound that I hear. I hear the footsteps stagger backwards, and I hear he knocks him down twice. Yep, hits him a third time, and then just keeps pummeling him. Yep. So you get the idea that Sobo never lands a blow. But also in my head, each one of them was a punch to the stomach, and as he went over, a punch to the face. (laughs) 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 You know, did I do it right? Did you guys see it? No, I just heard you trying to get up from a chair. (laughs) Stumbled backwards. (laughs) Sit back down. There's got to be law and order on somewhere else. Stay here. (laughs) So I find it fascinating the level of anger that I had because of how this is written and performed toward the two men that took Chester and dragged him. And I'm not that emotionally invested in any of this, but I was so mad. It just seems so horrifically mean. I think, at least for me, one of the reasons that felt so horrible is that Chester did not approach them in a bumbling or incompetent manner. His attempts at de-escalation were smart. Textbook. Mm-hmm. I'll go buy you a beer if we just get off the street. Yeah, it's we don't want trouble. You can stay here yep. as long as you want. 
it made you realize that there was no right way for Chester to do this. He was doomed the moment he approached them. And so it then underscores Dylan's guilt. Yep. This was not a job for Chester. Mm-hmm. This was a job for a marshal who yeah, is someone scarred. legally authorized to shoot yeah. these men. If yeah, the punishment of tying up. Well, first of all, approaching the camp of the first guy. I, I don't know what it was in the writing, but for somehow I got it in my head that he crept into the camp and got like, oh yeah, with nose to nose, nose to nose with them while I was sleeping. Like <laughs> I might kiss you, I might bite you. <laughs> the the horrific punishment is so good and so unique. I'm gonna tie you up. I'm gonna put you on my horse. Good luck. <laughs> you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be thrown over it, and he's that horse is gonna walk back to town. Probably. <laughs> probably. And there's a really good chance you won't make it. So um, but uh you might. So I'm not really your executioner. <laughs> it, you know? I'm, well, we haven't even talked about what I think is the greatest moment in this script that I mean, I was pretty hooked from the beginning, but what had me just lean into the speakers was when Dylan takes his guns off Mm -hmm. and he goes into the saloon, talks to Kitty, Mm -hmm. and she comments like, you're going after him without guns? And he says it would have been easier for Chester if they had shot and killed him, so I'm not going to shoot them. I will strongly disagree with you about about that being the best part of the script. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is a part that is by far, this is a really amazing performance, well-constructed script, but there's one point which to me is the piece de resistance, which is when they come and tell Dylan that Chester survived. He's going to live. And there's this silence, and I'm waiting to find out, is Dylan glad his friend lived? Is he upset he's not going to hang these men? And right. it's almost like he's making the decision then. Like, I'm glad he's alive. I'm going to be happy about this. <laughs> Damn it. No, that you're, you're right. Uh, but my point about the gun is that that moment is great. But what I love about it is how it's threaded through the rest of the episode. Everybody's response, yeah. Everybody's response and what challenges that Dylan faces because of that decision and the complex reasoning behind that decision. Mm-hmm. Because yep. there is a certain poetic justice on the surface that jibes with what he told Kitty. But then you have to question, are they all these other things? Is it guilt? Is it masochism? Is it an actual death wish on his part? Is, is it, it sadism? Because if I have my guns, we're going to get a gunfight, and I'm going to shoot him, and that's going to be it. It's going to be over too quick, yeah. and I want to really savor and enjoy it. And to me... Like, like tying him up, throwing him on the horse. Exactly, yes. Back to Meston's quote about him being as scarred as the psychopaths who walk in. That, in the mm-hmm. script, is the window into his questionable mental state. Mm-hmm. Is he lying to himself? Is he just lying to Kitty? And it's fascinating. In general, this is a fascinating piece of storytelling mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be in the Old West. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like uh, the, the part of it that I think continues in on into modern Western storytelling is this territorial law aspect to it of he is the lawman. He represents authority and the rule of law. And he's also just the biggest guy. He's the biggest bully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he arbitrarily decides like, ah, I'm going to shoot these guys, 
there'll be no consequences. Setting it as a Western, yes, makes this dilemma more acute. Because the notion that he can get away with it is stronger. I mean, again, that's another level of leaving the guns. He knows he has this struggle between the badge and personal justice. And it is is his self-protection, too. Mm -hmm. Can I throw something out there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is it suicidal. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to live without Chester. So I hope they kill me. And at the end, when he's like, yeah, you're a big guy. You might beat the hell out of me and I don't care. Yeah. I think there is an intention in the storytelling of that he's lost it and doesn't really expect to come back alive. It's fascinating that he has a certain level of self-knowledge about that. I don't think he's Mm -hmm. deluding himself. He even uses his own toxic bravado against Stobo when he confronts him by demanding a meal before he gets shot because he knows that Stobo's going to be so impressed by how <laughs> macho that is. Because he even right. says, you are a cool character. Yep. And he just laughs. And like, all right. <laughs> you know, and it's foolish on Stobo's part, but we have been just drenched in this macho masculinity, mm-hmm. right? And so I think by that point... I totally believe that yeah, Dylan has, has made no foolish decisions. Of, yeah. uh, Stobel makes foolish decisions. And in another script, I might have went, oh, well, that's convenient. Right. And he's going to wait to shoot him just long enough for Dylan to get the upper hand. Uh, but it's also saved by just how brutal Dylan is when he burns his hand in the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even after Sobo makes that really funny comment where he's like, oh, the pork looks cooked enough. As if he, <laughs> he's actually worried that he might give this guy trichinosis before he shoots him dead. <laughs> uh, or just be concerned of like, you're not a very good cook. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And uh, the other thing I want to mention about Gunsmoke in general, but particularly this episode, but probably most episodes of Gunsmoke, is the sound effects. Yep. Uh, we use the word textured a lot, but it really is in this one. Just every scene somewhere in the background, there's a dog barking yeah. or random horse brays. Escape. Um, it's got an escape production quality. Yeah, when he walks into the saloon and it's mm-hmm. quiet at first and they're having this somber discussion. And then you hear the piano Yeah, the piano up. just yeah, kicks yeah, yeah, in yeah. and that incongruity between the yeah. just lively, jolly Someone, piano playing while they're talking about Chester being dragged almost to death is just fantastic. It's so real. Like someone put a quarter in it or just started playing it or whatever. Yep. Wouldn't be a quarter. That would that would be a year's <laughs> a million dollars. dollars. <laughs> so I bought this piano for a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, yeah, and sound effect wise, Joshua, they um, again just that final fight scene. It's nuanced and beautiful, and everything that you just said. We've talked about shows that have caught us off guard without creating the theater in our mind, without creating the story in our mind, with limited or no sound effects. Ironically, the last two that have have both been Conrad pieces. Um, (laughs) But it goes to show again how also on the other end, if you do it right, wow, it's vivid. Mm -hmm, Wow. mm -hmm. Just little things like and the fact that we both notice, oh, the piano. Now I'm here. Oh, these two are having a conversation and there's a whole bunch of people in here doing stuff that aren't paying attention to this. It's really educational to me as someone who creates 
dramatic radio for stage, as we mm-hmm. all do. Like my instinct for the saloon would be like, oh, he goes to the saloon. Let's start that piano music right away right. to establish yeah. location. But it's so much cooler to have it just start up midway through the scene. It like adds, it would in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this, again, texture and mm-hmm. this... Again, interesting irony because it shows that, you know, while they're having this conversation, drinking and uh, all sorts of fun are happening in the background. The formula of writing or producing audio drama is sound effects establish. And then once you're established, you can get rid of them. That's the formula. Mm -hmm. To think outside that box, and I know we're harping on this piano. That's a weird sentence right there. (laughs) But... Someone made that choice. And to trust that the audience is going to know, we've established that Kitty is in a saloon. He goes to talk to Kitty. They're in a saloon. We don't need to do any more establishing than that. But we can add to it. I mean, there is the murmur of other patrons in the Mm -hmm. background and the clink of glasses. So there is ambience noise going on. Uh, But saving up that piano is just a great little touch. It's just something I wouldn't think of. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm 100% certain that the day of recording, the piano guy was running late. And, and he just missed his cue. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Maybe they won't notice. <laughs> and here we are 70 years later. Brilliant. <laughs> Genius. Uh, the last thing I want to say about this, and it is the last moment of the play, is how wonderful William Conrad is being tongue-tied as he speaks to Chester mm-hmm. at the end. Trying to apologize to him, and Chester also in a heartbreaking way trying to apologize to oh yeah for being unable to handle this whole situation. I'm sorry, I got myself dragged. (laughs) Right, and just how difficult it is for Dylan to admit that he is the only man Mm -hmm. he trusts in Dodge. Yeah, it's just really powerful, and we have been really hard on. Man and masculinity in some of our conversation here today, but I want to say what is great about it is that everything can be patched up with beer and steaks. A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> like, let's stop talking about our feelings and drink beer and eat steaks. I mean, if we wanted to go back to our previous discussion of Kaleidoscope, I think if those men had beer and steaks, it would have been a very different story. <laughs> very different. <laughs> the stakes would have been lower, no pun intended. <laughs> Like a cow drifted, <laughs> drifted by them. Get it. Uh, there is conversely a Dylan moment for that is super macho that I loved when, when the uh, big Texan was giving me a hard time about you little Missouri. I don't. I can't really say that's my impersonation of the Texas guy. I'm from Texas. <laughs> Just lost all our Texas listeners. <laughs> but Dylan's response is like, we've hung Texans here before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that's cold. And he yeah. delivers it just quietly, casually. <laughs> right. You can hear the shrug in his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I got a Texas rope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, should we send it to the vote? Yeah. Stands the test of time. Magnificent piece of storytelling, directing, and production. And with all that, it's hard to not call it a classic. I, I would call it a classic. It, the accomplishment of the uh, performance and the writing together, creating this dilemma for this character. And we really get a sense of who he is. We sympathize with him, as you say. And 
it's an investment in what he's going to do. And there's no guarantee to us as listeners of this is going to be okay. He's right. going to do the right thing. Yeah, I can't really add much more. It is a classic for sure. It is tense, psychologically rich, flawlessly performed, intelligently directed, highly influential. Mm-hmm. Classic. <sighs> Let's just breathe that in. <laughs> Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You can listen to a bunch of other episodes we've done. You can comment on episodes. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think. Did you think this was a classic? If not, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Um, You can also link to our social media pages. You can send us a message. If you have requests, you can send us messages and say, this is the episode of Gunsmoke you should listen to. Um, You can also link to our our Threadless store, buy some Mysterious Old Radio swag, and you can link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this page podcast. If you become a patron today, you can participate in all kinds of fun online activities. <laughs> like doing school from home. No, far more exciting than that. We have Zoom happy hours once a month uh, where we get together with all our patrons. We have a book club where we get together with all our patrons. We have bonus podcasts. There are t-shirts. There are more things to come in yes. heaven and earth Horatio <laughs> yes <laughs> just shut up and become a patron okay <laughs> if you'd like to see us performing live the mysterious old radio listening society theater uh, does audio theater uh, recreations of old-time radio classics and a lot of our own original audio theater if you'd like to see us performing live go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysterious old radio listening society.com and you will see where we're performing we perform monthly and you can check in and get a ticket uh at those websites and come see us live or watch us online you got no excuse or you can just buy a ticket and you know turn on the live stream and i don't know play pink floyd dark side of the moon see if it matches up (laughs) (laughs) please do that and let us know how it goes uh what's coming up next well we have spent i think a month uh listening to william conrad well william conrad (laughs) as well as uh old time radio episodes from the sophisticated twilight years of old time radio all from the 1950s and uh we are gonna step back to the infancy of old time radio and listen to an episode of the witch's tale entitled the statue of thor until then why you There's got to be law and order on somewhere else. Stay here. <laughs>